0: Okay, we're working our way through the book of Romans in chapter 3 and uh, into 4 tonight. The Apostle Paul is the author. He's one of those brilliant people in history. And uh, he almost single handedly, uh, made a transition from the Old Testament to the New. So if you're going to understand the Bible for what it is, he's going to help us an awful lot here to do that, because there were people who were pretty confused back at that time. There still are, (laughs) still are people confused. I heard a pretty famous preacher on the radio say he's only called to preach the New Testament. Well, good for him. Maybe he's I don't know what he's saying. Nothing that I would say but, uh, you know, there is a difference and we want to understand it and Paul's going to unlock the door so that when we're done with this, we got a grasp mainly of what God did What was God's plan from the beginning all the way through? He started in the beginning with an angry God. God was angry. He said, Paul, that God was angry, and he was angry because of sin. Creation had been given to man as proof, as evidence that God was real, that God existed. And they had turned their back on the evidence, and he said that they didn't want to keep God even in their mind. They don't want to think about God, was the attitude of the human race. And so he goes into the second chapter. He gives us a list of sins. We went through that last week. That was kind of a a long, intense list as it showed sort of the categories of the way that people sin. And uh, then in chapter 2, he says, by the way, uh, if you think you can claim that you're innocent and you can cast judgment on anybody else, uh, you better understand that's not true. God must judge sin got to do something about it he's angry about it and so if he must judge sin watch out (laughs) sinners in the hands of an angry god one of the most famous sermons ever preached by jonathan edwards back before the revolutionary war and uh, it's a chilling sermon Boy, when you read it, it gets right down inside you and warning you, God is angry, God is angry. And so we have the idea that God is angry because of sin, but then he says uh, God is trying to, uh, his kindness and his goodness is trying to lead us to repent. So he's trying to take care of the problem of sin. But we have to be careful, because where we're going to start tonight, all have sinned. Everybody has sinned. No exceptions. Nobody can say I'm perfect. Everybody sinned. Something on that list that we had in chapter 1, you did. Something on that list, I did. Quite a few things, maybe, on that list. We did, all right? And so, we're not innocent. We are guilty of sin, therefore we're in the same condemnation. And we're hoping what happens that God, through his goodness, is gonna help us. We don't want to feel the wrath of God. We want to escape it. And he's gonna talk about that tonight. Now, when we start tonight, you're gonna, to, I'm gonna read a couple of verses and you're gonna look at me and say, huh? What? What'd you just say? Uh, Because Paul is a lawyer, first of all, and he talks legal talk, and when you listen to it, it's it's confusing, and you can't figure out what he's saying. And so we're going to dissect it tonight, so we can figure out what he's saying, and I have a chair where I sit and study. And I'm thinking all over the place, but when I sit in that chair, I'm there to study. And one of the books I keep right there on my hand is a dictionary. I have a dictionary, and I regularly pull it off the shelf and look up a word because I want to know exactly what the Bible is saying. And when you come to Romans, you've got to have a great big dictionary there's a whole lot of things in there. You say, what does that mean? What does that mean? We kind of get a general idea, but Paul is using very specific words to communicate very specific ideas about God. And these are words that we don't use. They're not in our vocabulary, uh, certainly not in our daily vocabulary. And so I want to define some of those words. That's one of the things I use as a dictionary. Like I said, it's right where my hand can go to it anytime I need it. and I use it a lot. Second thing I have is a Bible with cross-references. i got a real good one with cross-references. I highly recommend a good Bible with cross-references. That means down the center of the column, uh, there's a little A, B, C, D, as you're reading through, and it'll cross-reference you to some other part of the Bible. That's a very, very helpful tool, too. So if you really want to read and understand the Bible, you can read commentaries, and I do that, too. But uh, get your dictionary (coughs) next to your Bible. Make sure you got it there. And get yourself a Bible... With real good cross references. This Bible that I use here has nothing of any value in the way of cross reference. It's no good at all. I use it because it's got great big print. (laughs) That's why I use it. And I saw that Bible and said, hey, I can read that one. Good. I'll take that one to preach from. But I got one at home, a small, nice little small print, but I can still see the cross references. Very important, because you're going to grasp the Bible, and you're going to be able to tie it together. Lots of times with a commentary, somebody has a certain slant they're trying to show, some certain opinion they're showing, not that they're bad or not that they're always good. But sometimes they lead you away. Probably the best commentary that was ever written is Matthew Henry. So you're all going to run out and buy one, right? They're about that big, about that thick, and you open and say, oh, what am I going to do with this? Well, if you carefully read it through slowly, there's nobody who is more plain in describing what you're reading than him. Yes, he wrote, I don't know, in the 1500s or something, 1600s. So he can't be that good if he's that old. Oh, yes, he can. They were smarter than we are. I understand that in the 1500s, 1600s, people like Martin Luther, way smarter than we are. Much better educated than we are anywhere today. Uh, These people uh, really were experts, and the people that were the Puritans out of England Just brilliant, brilliant. And one of those Puritans preached Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. greatest sermon, one of the great sermons of all time. So, as you come to the book of Romans, uh, yeah, hang on, because it's going to challenge you. Now, we finished last week, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All right, that's where we're going to start. For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. So here is the human condition. The human condition is that everybody has the sin problem. Everybody has to think about God being angry with sin. And what are we going to do about it? Nobody can say, oh, God's not mad at me. If you're a sinner... There's a time when God is angry, I and mean, you've got to deal with it. So, here we go. Here's how God dealt with it. Ready? <clears throat> Nothing to it. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 24. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Got that? What was that? What was that? What was he saying? Well, <laughs> um, we're going to look up a few words we're going to get some definitions before we try to think this through because these words are hard to just read and say oh yeah i got it because there's shades of meaning with things that are important things he's trying to say and he's got a great vocabulary better than ours He's got a better vocabulary than ours. I have a cousin with a very good vocabulary. and He challenges me whenever I'm with him with words that I'm thinking, what did he say? (laughs) Which is what we just said. This is a tremendous explanation of Jesus Christ and the work of God. But of course, he uses words that we don't know. We're going to, put some of these words down so we can put some meaning to them. Justify is one of those words. Justify. Um, To justify means to free somebody from guilt. Or to free them from blame. So it's in something that God does. He's going to make it in the way that we have put it. Which is a lot easier to think about. We say it's just as if I never sinned. To justify. So God has the ability to do something to you. To say uh, I am going to free you from guilt and blame. And I'm going to make it so it's just as if you never sinned. You say, well, isn't that forgiveness? Well, if I can forgive you, and we can forgive each other, right? We better. Uh-huh. <laughs> we can forgive each other, right? Can you make it just like I never sinned? Can I make it just like you? I can't do that. I mean, we're stuck with what we did. But God says, I can make it just like you never sinned. So that's much more than forgiveness. You understand? It is forgiveness, but He's going to uh, wipe a slate clean, justify us, free us from guilt and blame. So there's one of the terms that we come to. Next one is uh, redemption. Redemption, and in the old days. The word redemption we use all the time. Do you remember green stamps? Anybody remember green stamps? Plaid stamps. They had plaid stamps. Those were stamps you got when you shopped and you put them in a book and then you could redeem them or you take them in. And there's a redemption center where you go and and trade it in. And this is something I paid for. You can have it. So redemption means uh, to redeem something to Pay off. To pay off. Or maybe more precisely, the word would be uh, not just to pay off, but to ransom. And you know that word. Ransom. Kidnapper says you got to pay me or somebody. you got to pay a ransom. And so redemption is to pay a ransom. To pay for somebody, all right, and then the next word everybody uses all the time—propitiation. Propitiation. There you propitiation. Uh, what is that? What is that word? Well, if you are a propitiation, it is your job uh, to win goodwill for somebody so if someone's a propitiation they are there to win good will alright to if you will change somebody's opinion about you and make it a good opinion to so win good will and so a propitiation will win good will, win good will. that's important important thing and uh... So we're going to now go through what we just read and try to explain what it is. And I'm going to say this right now. There's a new system. A new system. Paul is describing something. That's a new system. A new way that things happen. Now when he's describing it. It just came to be. All right, so it was brand new. Back then. Now it's 2,000 years old. We still call it the new way. The new system. Uh, and it's the way. That God. Dealt with the human problem. Of sin. God had to deal with it. And so let's go down through what we just read and see if we can now make sense of it. Being justified freely by his grace. Or God wants to make it just as if you never sinned. It's a gift he's going to give you. That's what grace is. Grace is a gift that God gives you. So he says, God said, i want to do something for you. I want to make it. Just like you never sinned. Does that include forgiveness? Of course, but it's much more than that. To be justified is to say, whatever you did, I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to erase it. So it's much better to be justified than just forgiven. Because you get up to heaven and you're going to say, here I am, God. How'd you do? I didn't do good. And Jesus will say, I justified him. It's just like he never sinned. Whew. Huh? <laughs> you better love that word. Right? You better love that word. Because God going to make Jesus. And here's how he did it. Being justified freely by his grace. God is going to make it so that you. As if you never sinned. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus redeemed He paid off our debt. We had a debt. We did sin. We owed something for it. And the anger of God said, I'm going to judge sin, so we're in trouble. Okay, Jesus died on the cross and said, I'm going to pay off that debt. So not only am I going to make it just as if you never sinned, but I'm going to pay the debt that you have accrued. Right, you got debt and I'm going to pay your debt. All right, so Jesus, dying on the cross, paid that price, whom God sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. And that's maybe better than all the rest. That is, a propitiation wins goodwill. So God in heaven is angry because of sin. And they make an agreement, God the Father, God the Son, the Spirit, we're going to send the Son down into the world. He's going to take a human form, going to live among men, and then he's going to redeem them you're going to die on a cross and redeem them and when he does that whom god sent forth he sent jesus in the world to be a propitiation that is that uh he would win goodwill for us god wants to bring have goodwill through us so we had god the father angry at sin, God the Son said, well, let me go down and I'll pay the price and so that I can propitiate. I can be a propitiation. I'm going to change God's opinion towards you. So he's going to turn God's mind, change God's mind How's he going to do that? Well, here's what's necessary. Whom God sent forth to be a propitiation. Jesus came so he could change God's mind about our sins through faith in his blood. Here's what's required of you. So these are the things, justification, redemption, propitiation that Jesus did. And you are required to have faith in. In Jesus' blood. That's your requirement. You have to say, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, it was for me. And that my sins can be forgiven. I can be made just as if I never sinned. My debt will be all paid off. And God will change his Opinion and I will have the goodwill of God. So here's how I get it I have faith in His blood. I believe that that is true. That's all you got to do. So He said, You got to believe it. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. All right, so. What he's saying is there's a new system that has to do with Jesus on the cross, all right? Jesus died on a cross, which brings in a new system. And that system is you can believe in his shed blood that you can be forgiven and justified and all the rest. And uh, Jesus died on the cross, and that began two thousand years ago, right? Well, that's what he just said was, now just so you understand how this works, when Jesus died on the cross, it was so he could forgive sins, all right, and justify and all of us. But he said, "I'm going all the way back." to the beginning. That means the first sin, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he's gonna forgive backwards into history. Well I thought those people already were forgiven. Weren't they? And he says what they had was a a credit slip, if you will. They got a credit slip. Now, they, how'd they get it? Well, they uh, made <laughs> sacrifices so forth. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But they had a system there, and if they did what they should and believed in their heart like they should, God forgive them. But all of those sins, from Adam right up to the 3 o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus died on the cross, right up to then were temporarily suspended and those people when they died did not go to heaven they went to paradise a place called the place of the dead the Bible calls it Sheol it had two parts Jesus described there's one part which is hell and the other part which paradise And he said he sent them there and they're waiting there. They were waiting until Jesus died on a cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he goes down to that place and he said, Now your sins are really forgiven. All the way back. All right. You were here on a credit slip. But now I have forgiven all sin all the way to the back. and so you can redeem your credit slip. Come on, we're going up to heaven. All right, so when Jesus died on the cross, he said, well, he went all the way back to the beginning of sin with Adam and Eve in the garden. And He said, I'm going to declare righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Forbearance means God's being patient. So, way back there, Adam and Eve sinned, and said, well, you make your sacrifice, and you pray, and I'll be patient. And then, down through history, Abraham sins, Jacob sins, David sins, and all through history, they sin. And he said, I'm being patient with you. I'm just gonna wait there's coming a day when i'll declare everybody righteous And when that day comes then i'll take care of things all the way back right, so i am being patient god is being patient so he's waiting what for jesus to come and die on the cross and that'll take care of the whole sin problem first back into history to the beginning, now verse 26, To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And so he assigns to us, justifies, or makes it just as if we never sinned. Signs to us, uh, righteousness. We are righteous. just as if you never sinned, you're righteous. I'm just going to say, you trust me, you believe in my blood, I'm going to pronounce you to be righteous. And anybody who believes in Jesus has that ability from the cross forward into history. That includes, of course, covers you and me. So the great event, Christ dying on a cross, forgives sins all the way back in human history and then goes all the way ahead in human history to the last human born in this world when the world is over. When the world gets recreated and heaven moves down to earth. Okay, And so he said, I'll take care of all of it. I'll pay for all of it all the way. And so, <coughs> God sent Jesus to have goodwill for us. And uh, Jesus paid the debt of the sin, paid the ransom, and his shed blood will win our forgiveness. And the best, best, uh, you take a genius, and they're they're right in front of you some days. Page 122 in your book, page 122 in your hymn book. And here's how it worked. This hymn is a masterpiece written by Charles Wesley, and he explains the propitiation. What does he do? What does Jesus do? to convince God that we need to have his goodwill and i think chap verse 3 is the great one five bleeding wounds he bears all right so we know he was nailed through his hands was nailed through his feet and had a sword stuck in his side So he bears those wounds. He still carries the scars of those wounds. Five bleeding wounds he received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. It should say there. They change things because they don't know any better. Uh, They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. So when Jesus goes to heaven... Steps up to the throne and says, I'm here. And in my, what I'm pleading for is goodwill towards the human race of which I am a member now. He's human. And he said, here's what I got. Wounds. And he said, here's what I'm doing. And, and he says, these wounds are calling out. They strongly plead for me. What do they say? Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransom sinner die. The father hears him pray, his own anointed one. He cannot turn away the presence of his son. His spirit answers to the blood and tells me, I am born of God. God answers back and says, yes, we'll give him new life will give him new life. So that's the propitiation, the pleading that he makes. And that's what he's trying to describe for us when he says, here's what Jesus did. So it's a little more intense when Paul describes it here. In the past, he said he was patient. The Bible actually says in the King James that he winked. He winked. God winked at sin, or that He said, I'm being patient with it. All right. I'm being patient because you guys don't really know what's coming. You know that somebody's coming, but you don't know quite exactly what He's going to do. But when He comes and when He dies, everybody knows. All right. So there's no more excuse. All right. Let's go to verse 27. Where is boasting then? It's excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified, nay, just as if he never sinned, by faith, without the deeds of the law. All right. Now we got to go over and uh, get another word and make a good definition of it, and let's get that one so we get this, because this is pretty complicated. It is, it is one of the more, I would say, uh, complicated parts of the book of Romans. And it has to do with what Paul calls the law. All right? The law. Now, last week we touched on it briefly, and he said, what advantage does a Jew have? Well, the Jews were given the Bible. And God had the Jewish nation uh, take in information, inspired them, and they wrote down the Bible. And they were the collectors of that information. And the Old Testament is called the law. And that's true, but it's a little more than just the Old Testament. All right, it goes a little farther than that. Um, so, what is? Well, if we were to read the Bible, particularly the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, if you were to read that Bible, you'd find that there were certain rules and certain regulations. There was rules and regulations. And God said, Here's what I want you to do. And there's a long, long, long list of rules and regulations. Well, what are they? Well, sacrifices, for example, is one of those things. So, uh, God says we want a sacrifice. Well, is it a lamb? Or is it a dove? Is it an oxen? Or is it a goat? Yes. (laughs) It's all of them. So, well, which one do I do when? And some are very specific. All right. Is it whole burnt? Do you take the whole animal and put it on the altar and burn a whole thing? Or do you kill it and gut it and burn the guts and the bodies given back to us? Which is it? Which one do you do? Uh, sometimes the priest is going to take blood and he's going to go in and offer blood. And sometimes you cut the lamb's throat. Your job to do it. Sometimes you do it. all right. And uh, sometimes you're unclean for two weeks when you make a sacrifice. And sometimes... Uh, You just make a sacrifice to say thank you to God. And that's only a few. There's probably 70 or 80 rules just on how to sacrifice. Aren't you glad you ain't got to know all that? And it's confusing. But it was a very Jewish thing. And they were proud... Of their system. And so over here. And what he calls the law. Yes it's the Old Testament. But it's full of rules. And regulations. And it is the old system. Alright. So. The Jews are operating under this system, right? Well, Jesus is on earth, right? He goes into the temple, and they're making sacrifices while he's there. The day he died on the cross, they made sacrifices that day. They're under this old system, all right? Jesus comes on, and we got a new system now. And they go, no, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah, there's a new system now. Nope. We're not going by your system. We got it all figured out. We know what to sacrifice, on what day to sacrifice at what time of the day to sacrifice it, which animal to sacrifice, what it means. We've got it all figured out. We're all set. We don't need a new system. And in, when he's writing Romans, there's every people all over saying that same thing. They're proud of their system. Which is where it gets in trouble. Because uh, what the Jews came to say was, look, we're God's chosen people. We got all the rules. We got all the information. The rest of you dummies out there don't know nothing. What do you know? We know about God. We know what we got to do to appease God. we got it all figured out. We've been doing it for 4,000 years. So don't come along and tell us that's no good. You've got something new. We reject that principle. And so somebody says, Paul, says, what about Jesus? If he's the Messiah, if he is, then that's what we've been waiting for. And they say, he's not the Messiah. We know that. we got lots of proof that he's not the Messiah. And you'd say, why? Why isn't Jesus the Messiah? And they'd say, well, uh, because he's not one of us. We're the scribes, we're the Pharisees, we're the educated ones, we're the ones who write these rules down, we're the ones who make sure everything works the way it's supposed to. Yes, we know how it goes, and we know that when the Messiah comes, he ain't coming from the common folks. He's going to be one of us. So Jesus comes along, born in Bethlehem, moves right away out up to Nazareth. Just within a short time. Grows up in Nazareth. Which they consider. The wrong side of the tracks. So they say well Jesus. He healed the blind man. That doesn't matter he's from Nazareth. He's not one of us. Yeah but there was people with leprosy. That never got cured. And he cured a whole bunch of them. With leprosy. So what? So he's from the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah But. He had this guy that hadn't walked for 38 years, and he had a guy who stood up and started walking. I don't care, all right? It's not the Messiah. It's not who he is. And they've decided already that's not who he is. Now, here's the thing that makes this particularly interesting. The leader of the people who said Jesus is not it, is the guy who's writing Romans. Paul. Paul said, Jesus isn't it. This Jesus thing is nothing but a cult. I stand for this old law. I'm the master of it. I understand it. So I'm going to wipe out this new cult. And he starts to persecute Christians intensely. Until the Bible describes him as breathing out threatening and slaughter. I'm getting rid of these Christians. So, if anybody understood the arrogance of the people who embraced this old system, he did. He understood it perfectly because he was in it right up to his eyeballs, persecuting Christians. Right, so, he understands that and so when he says in verse 27 where is boasting then it is excluded by what law of works nay but by the law of faith all right so he says you guys think you're really something (laughs) and you boast that you have the knowledge of god and nobody else does that your system is right and no other system is needed. And you boast and brag about it. And you will not let people come into your church. Matter of fact, they had a court of the Gentiles. If you're a Gentile, you can't go down and up the next flight of stairs. Don't you dare. The temple was laid out in uh, Flat areas that they carved into rock, and then they'd run 12 stairs up, be another flat area. They'd run 12, carved right into rock of Mount Zion. And the temple had all these areas. That, the one on the bottom, is where you can go if you're a Gentile. Don't think you're coming up where we are. This is for Jews, not for you. So you can't come to our church and just walk in like you own it. You can't go. By them stairs right there. So that was the arrogant attitude of the Jews. All right. Paul says, you think you're something, don't you? I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. That God, because of what Jesus did, which was died on a cross, paid, redeemed us, ransomed us. All right. Was a propitiation. Worked on God to accept us and have goodwill will for us. And then he says, I'm going to justify you. I'm going to assign to you innocence like you never sinned. Jesus is going to do that, he said. And you over here say, wait, 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 wait you, you didn't follow the rules. He said, no, don't need your rules. He says, we got faith. And well, all that 's required is for you to believe in Jesus, so this arrogance where's your boasting? you can 't have it by what law works? See that over here? the system was follow all the rules and regulations, do uh, good works. You do all the right things, you do it all perfect you 'll have it all have it made verse 28 therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law so you Jewish people uh, in your old system uh, it doesn't work all that's needed is for people to believe now it has always been and probably always will be to the end of time. There will be people who make religion a system of rules and regulations. Always going to be that. All right? And there are plenty of places where you can go where they'll check you. Let's see, you've been following the rules? <laughs> I knew a guy and I liked him a lot. He was a pastor. He had a church of about 15 people. For years... He had 15 people and he would go on the street and get people in like nobody I ever met before, but he didn't keep them. And he said to me one day, he said, I give them a couple months and then I check them. (laughs) And if they're not doing what they're supposed to, I tell them you can't do that anymore. He meant well, all right. That's why he always had 15 people. nobody felt at home when he started saying did you follow my rules and so it's always been that religion it always will be somebody somewhere who's got rules and regulations and so he says it's not how it works you had your old system we got a new system it's believe in god So, verse 29, is he God of the Jews only? Is that what you think? You got it all? Is he not also the Gentiles? Yes. He's God of the whole world. Yes, he's God of the Gentiles. See, is one God. There's only one God. Which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision by faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? All right, so. One of the rules of the old law was circumcision. Circumcision. And in Paul's time, only the Jews were circumcised and Gentiles were not. And so a lot of times to describe Jews, Gentiles, they'll say circumcised or uncircumcised. Circumcised, you followed the rules. Uncircumcised, you didn't. And so the, the Jews would run around and say, hey, uncircumcised heathens. Right. And Paul said, no, 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 that's not what we're going to do. All right. So, verse 31, do we make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Wait a minute, Paul. You just said, this is the old system. Here's the new system. Have faith in Jesus Christ. So if that's the new system, and that's what we need, and we don't have to follow these rules, that gets rid of all that, right? We don't have to pay any attention to it, right? No. He said it had a purpose. It had a purpose. And its purpose was to identify And that's what the law said. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie. And the law said, here's a list from God. It's very clear. Don't do that. And so we have information. Comes to us through this old set of rules. So we understand what sin is. And we have to do that because God is angry with sin. So it helps us to grasp what sin is. And sometimes, like I said last week, in our new system, we say, Jesus, forgive me. There, I'm all set. (laughs) Couldn't have sinned much. I'm good. No, the old system does point out sin, and that's the value of it. Now, you think, there, we got it all set, right? He's about to blow the whole thing into a million pieces. You got all, you figured it out. We got old system, new system, new system operates on faith, old system rules and regulations. If you want to believe in Jesus, you have faith, then you're justified, redeemed, and you have a propitiation, Jesus Christ, on your side. You're all set with that. And so, now we're going to smash it in a million pieces. You ready? Here we go. Chapter 4. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So, he's about to blow up the whole idea. He actually already did, but I didn't point it out because I wanted to wait till now. <laughs> Abraham. Abraham let's talk about Abraham okay let's talk about Abraham by the way we are talking about Abraham aren't we you're learning all about him so Abraham uh, when does he come along well when Abraham's walking around the earth there's no Bible in the Bible there's no rules there's no regulations <laughs> There's nothing like that. Abraham believed in God. And he says here, verse 3 For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. All right, so it says uh, Abraham uh, believed God. He believed what God said, which is precisely what we have talking. Let's look at uh, Genesis 15. You're getting to sneak ahead on Sunday morning when you come on Tuesday night. So you'll be smarter than everybody else. (laughs) Genesis 15. Talking about Abraham now, right? Here we go. Verse 5. And he, that's God, brought him, Abraham, forth abroad, said, look now towards the heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. to look at the stars, can you count them? Oh, I can't count them, are you kidding? It's impossible. So yeah, and you're gonna have as many offspring as there are stars in the heaven. And verse six, he believed in the Lord, and it was counted it, him for righteousness so he believed in God so what did God tell him God said you're going to have children as many as a stars in heaven he said God I believe you I believe you all right, so he believed what God said did he know about Jesus just little inklings right? he didn't really know he certainly didn't know what Jesus was going to do. But God said, you're going to have a family as big as all them stars up there. He said, I believe you, God. And he walked around for the rest of his life. He said, I'm going to have a huge family. You're gonna, you won't believe how many people are going to be in my family. And so he believed what God said. And God said, okay, I'm going to impute to you... Righteousness. Verse 4. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. All right. Or, in other words, how is he going to believe in Jesus' blood? Well, he can't because he doesn't know anything about it. Hasn't happened yet. But he can believe whatever God says. And Abraham's known for doing that, right? So go to Canaan. Okay, where am I going? Just go wander. Okay, I will. I'm off. You're going to have as many children as the stars in heaven. I believe you, God. I believe you. And God says, "Okay, because he believes what I say, I'm going to make it just as if he never sinned. He's going to be forgiven." He doesn't know anything about the blood of jesus but he believes with all his heart what god says and god says that's that's what i want i want people who believe so abraham believes in me and i'm going to do the same thing that i do for people who believe in jesus today i'm going to make it just as if he never sinned just because he believed. All right, now let's go on verse 6. Even as David also described the blessings of the man to whom God imputeth righteousness without works saying blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So we get our dictionary out. What does it mean to impute? You all know that? That's why I got my dictionary. What does it mean to impute? It means to assign to another person. So God assigned to Abraham forgiveness. Here, I'm going to forgive you. I'm just going to give that to you. You're forgiven. What did you do? Well, you believed me. You believed me. That's good. That's what we want. Verse 9. Cometh his blessedness upon the circumcision only or are the uncircumcision? We say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. He received the sign of circumcision. Seal of the righteousness of faith that he had yet Being uncircumcised, he might be the father of all them that believe. So we just saw in Genesis 15, right, that he believed. And now in Genesis 17, we have something that he says here. Genesis 17, in verse number 10. This is my covenant, God talking to Abraham, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed ever after thee. Every man, child among you shall be circumcised. Wait a minute, that's the rule. That's right, that's one of the rules. But before he got the rule, chapter 15, God already assigned to him forgiveness, justification, He's been made right. And so, come to find out, this new system, which is you have to believe, you don't have to do anything, you have to believe, was already before the old system. So, the new system is the old system. Got it? How's that fit in your... say, wow. Because he's proving to us that it has always been the case. That if you believe in God from the beginning of time, if you believe God, you believe what he says, believe who he is, Believe what if you believe in him, then God says, okay, you're one of mine, I accept you, I redeem you, I make goodwill for you, and I assign to you forgiveness and eternal life and heaven and all these things. So it comes to find out the new system is actually in effect before the old one. So it is the old system. And he just sprung a trap on every Jew. He got them good. He got them good. All right. and they're up there saying, well, we had all the rules. He says, who's your father, Abraham? Abraham didn't have the rules. He believed God. So if you want to say you are the children of Abraham, which is what they did. They walked around and said, we're the children of Abraham. He said, let me make sure you understand this. He said that Abraham was righteous by faith. And so was David. Yeah, but he had the rules. Now what he did, David prayed, please don't impute to me sin. He says, okay, I won't. I'll impute to you righteous. I'll give you righteousness. So what's happening is God is saying, believe me. Just believe in me. And I will assign to you no sin, forgiveness, the good will of God. The debt is paid. I'm just going to give it to you. So, What do we got to do with our own salvation? Well, God did it all. You just got to believe it. You got to believe it. That sounds pretty simple. Yeah. I guess that is the point. That it does sound simple. All right. Now down to verse 15. Because the law worketh wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Transgression. All right, so the rules were given and what do we do with rules we broke them we broke the rules so he says you can't say well you know, I don't know I didn't know God didn't like this or that because it's all written down all right, it's all written down therefore 16 it is of faith that it might be by grace So you believe, then God gives a gift, that's grace, is giving a gift, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those which is of the law, but to those of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So, we say, Jews say, Abraham is our father, our descendant. And Paul says, no, no, no. Everybody who believes is a descendant of Abraham. God views it, not the bloodline. The faith line is what God views. He looks down and says, You believe like Abraham? Look what Abraham did. He believed God. He looked at the stars and believed. He left home because he believed. He believed in God. He said, That's what we want from you. We want you to believe God. Right? That's the basis of these first few chapters. And we'll go on more in chapter 4 because I'm out of time. And get into chapter 5 as we explain more about how this works. But it's a good explanation of how God thinks. This is how God thinks. And if you get that, you could get it by reading Genesis through Malachi. You could get it. But this here is laid right out. There you go. You got it. So you can read the whole Old Testament and figure it all out. Or you can read Romans and figure it all out. It's a little shorter. All right. Don't be surprised if it bends your mind a little. Get your dictionary out and we'll figure it out as we go. Thank you.